Welcome to Temporary Experts, the show where two professional science communicators investigate relevant science stories from the everyday, research the heck out of it, and discuss their findings with you. Howdy there, folks. She's Sarah Bannister. And he's Davis Leung, and together we're your Temporary temporary Experts. experts. This week's topic is... The world's deadliest predator! (laughs) And others, because it's bugs. Bugs are what we're talking about, because some of them are in the news. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We are talking about (laughs) dem creepy crawlies. Yeah, just some of them. All up in this place. Yeah, just some of the bugs, because there's a lot of bugs, and that would take too much time. But uh, we thought, in, in balance out to last week's episode all about cryptocurrency and crypto and blockchain and all of this, which Davis really took the lead on. We'd pick something that is a little more in my wheelhouse that I could take the lead on here. So bugs, you know, I always talk about I like biology and I was recently camping and bugs are out now. (laughs) (laughs) They are, they are around. I went, uh, I went in the beginning of May and it was cold, but there were no bugs. It was a, it was a trade-off. (laughs) <laughs> and then now it is very warm and the bugs exist again. Yeah, we've had another uh, short, wet spring here in Alberta. And so, yeah, the bug season has come in full force. Full yes. force. They are out. They are out a great number. Yes, which we will absolutely get to very soon. Ah, of course. Of course. <laughs> it's, that is in one of my uh, topics for the day is to talk about uh, one bug that is <laughs> just, just all... Just very excited to be alive in uh, May in Alberta. <laughs> but to start things off, I thought, you know, people don't like bugs, right? So what is a bug that people like, Davis? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I'm I looking at the notes, so I have a pretty good guess. <laughs> at first I was like, a bug that people like? What the hell? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, but now I'm looking at the notes and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take an educated guess here, Sarah. Okay, Davis. All right. For, for, for <laughs> final answer... Butterflies. Butterflies! Oh, excellent. So, I, I thought maybe you would, like, say ladybugs or something, but that's fine. Read the notes, too. Uh, so. <laughs> I just, like, my mind went so blank. I was like, do people like bugs? Because it was like, I feel like the people that are, like, bug people, like bug, yeah. they either have a specific bug that they really enjoy, or they like them all, mm-hmm. right? They're just like, I'm into bugs and insects. Mm-hmm. So I, that's where I, and I was like, most people are just like, ah, bugs. So that's fair. That's, that's kind of what stumped me, but uh, that's fair. I and got it- there eventually. <laughs> If a la- if a butterfly flew at your face, you'd probably react the way that you do when most bugs fly at your face. So it's fair. Uh, people say like I like butterflies, but like over there. <laughs> so <laughs> so I chose butterflies to start because we've, they're a bit of a more of a gentle entry to bugs, you know. Uh, Alberta, where are we record our podcast, is home to over 170 butterfly species, which is pretty neat. That's a lot of butterflies, and butterflies are of the class Lepidoptera. So we're gonna throw some scientific names in here because why not? <laughs> This is a science communication podcast. And one fun thing about butterflies that I didn't know, and I just, I learned this term. A lot of butterflies and many of our native butterflies in Alberta are known as puddlers. Oh. Like a puddler, a I've puddle. i heard of this. Right? Oh, no. So it means these butterflies feed on salts and minerals from mud puddles and other water sources. Hmm. So instead of going for like really, really clean water sources, I guess they go for this. I always thought they ate nectar. Like they do. But it must be a way to get those extra minerals and stuff that, like, right, right, yeah. that wouldn't be because mm-hmm. nectar is mostly like sugar water, to mm-hmm. an, yeah. like in yeah. essence. So yeah, they're puddlers, which is just so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? With like the environment we live in, it's a fairly arid area. And yeah, you do get, you got a lot of these smaller water sources and things like that. But yeah. I did not know that. I did not, I had never heard that term before. Teaching Davis things already. I know. We're not even 10 minutes in and I'm already, I've already learned something. Excellent. <laughs> you're welcome, everyone. Unless you knew that. Then you're welcome for now you can. That is a good, uh, that's a good crossword puzzle question, I feel oh. like, you know? Like, yeah. um, an Alberta specific crossword puzzle or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Good trivia question for sure. Yeah. For sure. If you're bug crosswords. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if you, uh, if you want to encourage this, this puddler behavior, you can actually create a butterfly bath. Um, oh. Yeah. Oh, so it says, uh, I found on the Calgary city website, actually, it's saying oh. if you add a layer of sand and coarse dirt to a shallow bowl and fill it with water until the sand is damp, you can add rocks or pebbles for butterflies to land on. Then you've created your own little puddle bowl. But the, you have to be careful not to overfill your bath because water or butterflies can't land on open water. So you need to make sure you have like rocks and stuff so they can like just get on the edge and like lap it up. Otherwise, you just have stagnant water in your backyard. And oh boy, that's what some of our other bugs really, really like. I'm imagining like a butterfly that's like a hydroplane where it's got like pontoons <laughs> attached to its legs or something. It's like, we've modified this butterfly. It can land on any surface. <laughs> if, if humans can dream it, we'll invent it. We will. I, uh, oh, two things, actually, on that one. I keep imagining butterflies with tiny rain boots, which is really cute, <laughs> uh, splashing in puddles. And two, there's a, <laughs> this study that goes around. I'm one of, I'm on, part of, like, an ecological meme group, and uh, it has amazing memes, and it's always, like, <laughs> bringing up these, like, weird, like, weird so things actually from science, and usually, like, something to do with animals or the environment, because that's where a lot of the uh, ecology is, like, the main theme of the group. And there's this one where it's, like, uh, scientists wanted to see like if ants count their steps or if they just know where they're going or something. So they put little like stilts on this ant, they just like added these like little like leg extensions and it like messed up the ant. Cause I think they do, I think the, the discovery was that they do count their steps. So you mm. put this on and then it takes bigger steps and it's like, where am I? So, oh, wow. <clears throat> wow. we're not even talking about ants. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Ants on stilts. If you were afraid of bugs, it's like you're a living nightmare, I suppose. They're taller. They're getting, they're getting closer. <laughs> they're learning to use technology. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so ants on stilts. It's going to be a delicate operation to try to put yeah, I don't know, leg man. extensions on a What would on that be ant? like for the ant? Well, obviously very confusing from what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel butterflies would be likely just as confused if we put pontoons on them or boots. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we could try it out with some of our native Alberta butterflies, like the common tiger swallowtail, which is from the family Papillondae. That was really sense. good. That was awesome. That Thank was a that was a great pronunciation. Thank you. I as I got to the word, I was like, I didn't practice saying these out loud. So <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, mm -hmm. which would make sense as papillon in French is yeah. butterfly. Mm -hmm. So it kind of all goes together. So the Canadian tiger swallowtail. Have you ever seen one? Do you think, Davis? Let, let me describe <sighs> it for you and then... Yeah, okay, okay. And people at home. This is both the advantage and the disadvantage of this on a podcast, is if yeah. you don't like bugs, well, we don't have to show you any pictures of bugs. <laughs> the other aspect of it is that you have to imagine, and our descriptions will have to be very good for you to see these bugs, but you can also just Google them, you know, on whatever device you're listening to this on, since we're everyone's connected today. I, yeah. Sorry. I'll, I'll try to do my best to uh, paint you a good bug picture, but if not, yeah, just uh, use the Google. Yeah, I expect to be able to, that, I expect that I'm going to get a bunch of uh, of hand-drawn butterflies <gasps> in, our, in my inbox. Oh my gosh, because, that would be amazing. Because, Please do it. Because your descriptions will be so, so good. 
if if I do describe something really well or really horribly and you just want to draw it, please that do and send it to hilarious. us. That would be so funny. That would be amazing. We would share them on our Twitter. That's true. Say it. That's true. All 15 of my Twitter followers currently. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. So the Canadian tiger swallowtail is yellow and black. Mm. Where it gets this tiger name and it's got like a very striped, its wings are fairly striped. It's wingspan of 8.5 to 10 centimeters. So it's a rather large butterfly. It's big, yeah. <clears throat> also, I'm going to switch between imperial and metric because I didn't do any uh, conversions, <laughs> but we're starting in metric. Um, and the, what makes the swallowtail butterflies is they actually have little tails, what they're called, on their bottom, the bottom edge of their hind wings. So, you know, butterflies have like two big wings and two little wings. Yes. So on the, on the little ones that are on the bottom, they have these like little tails, which are like little extensions that come out. So those are the swallowtail butterflies. You're doing a very good job so far. I can I can picture the butterfly in my mind. Amazing. I can see the I can see the tails. <laughs> Do you think you've seen one in real life? Um, that I'm not so that I'm not certain of. I I know I've seen a lot of like the monarch because we get monarchs here in Alberta, don't we? I think so. Yeah, I don't know that I ever have seen a, ti- a Canadian tiger swallowtail in the wild. Like mm-hmm. maybe I've seen one. I'm just I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the bugs that I've seen, unfortunately, <laughs> throughout my life. Why are we even doing this podcast, Davis? Because <laughs> it's um, your topic. That's fair. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think I've actually seen a swall a tiger swallowtail either. I've seen there's definitely this yellow and black butterfly that I keep seeing, but I don't think it has the tails, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. very hard to get pictures of. But they do like to uh, flutter in front of me when I'm hiking. And then they just kind of like weave back and forth in front of me on the trail, like just under my walking speed. So I'm always afraid I'm going to like bump it or something. (laughs) But I don't because it's a butterfly and it like erratically flaps away from me. Okay, so it's got these tails. um, And these are actually puddlers. So like we said, these these little butterflies like to puddle. Uh, (laughs) I don't know, puddler. I don't know. Uh, And the adults are really good gliders for the swallowtail. So a little less erratic. Uh, And you usually see these ones in June. Just a bunch of butterfly facts now. So the larvae, so butterflies start as larvae, and then they pupate. Uh, and then they become very hungry caterpillars, right? Mm-hmm. Rest well, the, in peace. The, lar- <laughs> the larva is the, that is the caterpillar stage, is it not? Um, I guess you're right, actually. No, yeah. that is the larval stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, egg to look caterpillar. Look at us, we're so smart. Figuring stuff out, we hope. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, they go into their cocoon. Their cocoon right, right. And they... Uh, they actually, so we always just think like a caterpillar grows wings or something. They actually turn into like a bug goo mm-hmm. inside there, which is so cool. And the first time I learned it, I was amazed. I actually have a friend whose nickname is Bug Soup in my phone because I discovered this around the same time I met them and it just happened. It's how you know you found your people. If, you you're, know? Out, if you're out there, Bug Soup, you've got an unfortunate nickname. <laughs> I know a thing or two about that. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they, they go into their little liquid uh, there's a popular meme that goes around right now, like explaining this and then saying, so if you're a hot mess right now, wrapped in a blanket, just keep going because you could emerge <laughs> as a butterfly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, your motivation for the week. But yeah, so they're larvae, they're little caterpillars. They feed on trembling aspirin, trembling, oh my gosh, trembling aspen, domestic crabapple, willow, poplar, and ash trees. And then those are certainly trees we have in Alberta. Yep, we got those trees. <laughs> And then uh, the adults sip nectar from a variety of flowers. Like very few of our pollinators are uh, exclusive, especially in North America, to, to one plant. Mm. Um, but one of the plants that the swallowtails really like are dandelions. So once again, I'm going to tell everyone to leave your dandelions alone. Uh, as long as you're not, it's not like a soccer field or something. Dandelions are just a good flower. A lot of our pollinators really like them. So leave them. They, they're 
good for our bugs. I feel like this is like almost like the summer of the the dandelion for some reason. Like so many people I know about are talking about like dandelions are valuable for the ecosystem. Like don't weed your dandelions. Like I'm on I'm in agreement. I'm on board with this. It's just interesting to me that this year it seems to be the hot topic. Oh, cool. I find it it's one of those like uh, confirmation bias ones where once you start hearing about it then you realize like how many people are talking about it because the same thing happened to me a few years ago but that's good people are talking about it i'm glad you're hearing about it from people who aren't just me <laughs> yay <laughs> and then in alberta you might also see a whole bunch of other butterflies like i said we have a whole bunch here uh we're not going to spend too much time on them but there are two other types that i wanted to bring up so one is called the silvery blue butterflies nice descriptive title you know and these are ones that I actually see a lot and I didn't know what they were, but they, I've had them like land on my bag a bunch of times when I'm camping and things like this or hiking. And so these are when their wings are open. So if they're like nice and flat, if they like land on something, their wings are nice and flat and open. They're this like shimmering silver blue hmm. and it's like a light color. And these butterflies aren't very big. They're like trying to like, make, I guess like maybe like two inches, two, three inches. Like they're like for a wingspan, they're, they're much smaller than a, no, that's not right. Yeah, two inches, under two. Under two inches, everyone. Uh, but yeah, so they open their rings and they're a shimmering silver blue color with this like dark border, which is, uh, it, it's just so nice. It's so pretty. And the males have a rather thin border and the females have a thicker border. And then when they close their wings, the outside of their wing is actually grayish brown with dark, uh, round, or with round dark spots bordered in white. So they're, they're much, this family is much more easier to, uh, to identify because of this like, this change in them, which is pretty cool. I worked on a, a butterfly project for a little bit on the Carner blue butterfly and reintroducing it to Ontario. And it has not the, the same markings, but the same, like different on the outside and the inside. Mm -hmm. cool. That's often like a defense mechanism, right? For a lot of these, these uh, organisms, right? Where it's like, um, I know that often some butterflies are used as an example of like mimicry and things like that. And like, but they're classic like biology mm -hmm. case studies or whatever. Yeah, with the, like, big eye spots and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if these spots would function as eye spots, but okay. when they close them is usually when they're resting on something. And if you can imagine, like, they're fairly little, their wings are pretty round, so they're kind of leaf-like. So if they have a brown leaf, they probably blend in a little better, especially for this, like, really bright silver blue that they have. Mm. That would be my guess anyway. Oh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Hmm. But there are definitely ones that have, like, they're bigger butterflies with big spots, and they're supposed to be like eye spots to scare off those predators. Right, right. Yeah. Have you seen these, Davis? Uh, again, this is one of those things I would probably have to like look at a picture of one of them, and then like maybe I would, maybe I'd have a better sense of if I've seen them. I, these ones seem like a little familiar to me, but I also like, for whatever reason, the only butterfly that I can like come up into my mind right now is like those ones you see, they always have kind of like the really, really pale, like, turquoise wings almost like they're almost like translucent and like you just see them flutting around sometimes in the parks here in the city and stuff like that um they don't really have any like striations or anything on the on the wings they're just they may they may not even really i, I don't know if they're a type of moth or something but no. i think they're butterflies because you see them during the day but this is the only one that i can for whatever reason pull into my mind okay. but i will keep an eye out for these because i'm going camping soon so i will i will use this i will use this <laughs> lesson i will apply it in the wild excellent knowledge for function <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, the last butterfly that I wanted to bring up is the morning cloak butterflies. So not morning like morning in the day, morning like morning a death oh, is the way that this is spelled. Oh, spooky. Yeah. So these are uh, two and a half to four inches. So they're they're a little bigger 
and uh, their wings are a dark maroon or brownish color. So that's like this morning cloak, right? This like heavy dark color. Uh, and they have pale yellow edges to their wings. Uh, and the, the dark maroon or brown is separated from the yellow by a black band that has these iridescent bright blue spots, which are pretty cool. And it's, uh, it's the estate insect of Montana, which I was like, that's neat. It's a pretty cool looking bug. I looked up if Alberta has one. I don't think we do. I don't think we have a state insect. Well, a, pro- a provincial, provincial insect. insect. I, I couldn't find... I know we've got a provincial bird. We have a provincial flower. The bird's the gray horned owl. Okay. The flower's mm-hmm. the wild rose. And we have the bighorn sheep. Got a provincial yeah. animal, too. Is, is it the bighorn sheep? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. We yeah. also have a provincial stone, and it's petrified wood. Wasn't it an ammonite? I don't know. This This... I think it was Canada... Canada website said, oh, all right. and I was like, that's not a rock though. Well, it is. It's petrified wood. <laughs> <laughs> I like petrified wood. I'm big into it. It's cool. Ammonite is also cool if you don't know what that is. Lots of things in Alberta. <laughs> if we do have a provincial bug, let oh, us yeah, know. Oh yeah, let us know. Because yeah. I couldn't find it, but I didn't dig really deep. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever heard of provincial bugs. Yeah. Like I know there's all provincial, I know every province has a bird and I know every province has a flower. We, we also have a animal. fish and it's. Yes, there's also a fish for every some, province. It's a rough bass you sure it would be a bass i i have no idea so uh, we're just speculating i remember now. rough or something like the word rough was in it because i was like hmm. oh interesting <laughs> tougher, mm. tough fish tough fish <laughs> rough and tumble fish but anyway so butterflies that's it for your gentle introduction and now we are getting into the world's deadliest predator <laughs> yeah i think i was thinking, thinking you were gonna have to clarify that one for the folks at home yes so it's the world deadly de- <laughs> the world's deadliest predator because this insect is a vector for a lot of diseases that kill hundreds of thousands of people. So, what is it, Davis? Oh, <laughs> oh, I know this one. And because I'm also reading the notes. No, I kind of, I, I I guessed this one correctly, actually, when you when you t- told me that that's the intro you wanted to run. Um, <laughs> it is the mosquito, the humble, the awful, the much maligned, the mosquito, or the skeeter, as some people refer to them as. As Davis refers to them as. it's. I think it's like an Australian or New Zealand kind of slang. Um, I like it. I like it though. The Skeeters. The Skeeters are out. There's other. Or the Mozzies. Maybe Mozzies is the Aussie one. And then Skeeters is one that I've heard somewhere else. But there are lots of lots of great fun names for mosquitoes. There, there are a lot of great fun names for a lot of bugs. True. I'll only judge Davis for using that one. Anyone else, you're free. You're free. Yeah, you can call them Skeeters. <laughs> um, I'm not allowed. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so our mosquito, our mozzie, skeeter, mosquito friends, they, uh, they're they one of the most deadly groups of organisms because they transport our pathogens, just lovely pathogens like dengue, yellow fever, Japanese encephalitis, which we talked about in our vaccine podcast, if you want to learn a bit more about that. Uh, and those three each kill tens of thousands a year, like 20, 15 to 30,000 for each of those. And then malaria, the big one, which kills hundreds of thousands. In 2017 alone, malaria killed 450,000 people. Jeez. Yeah. And mosquitoes are the vector for it. So that's why they are classed as, or sometimes referred to as, the world's deadliest predator. Because they are a predator. And their bite is what allows the virus to get inside. Or the, the pathogen. And sometimes, and actually this is an interesting, because this actually has come up in some courses I took in university in biology and stuff. It was one of the reasons why this happens with mosquitoes is because 
So Mosquito is carrying, still has some blood like in its system essentially, and it's getting mixed in with its blood and it's getting some of these pathogens that it's carrying or, you know, it's, or it's sucking up blood from an animal or another organism or another human. And in their blood is this disease. And then it's get, when they bite you and they inject their, you know, uh, stinger or whatever, it's not a stinger, it's a proboscis, something like that. Yeah. Um, It's a, like a needle, like proboscis mouth part. So yeah, they inject you, like when they stab you, basically, (laughs) you know, there's a little bit of blood that basically goes into your bloodstream, like, you know, stuff that's all stored up in the, in the mosquito and it gets into your bloodstream before it basically starts sucking out your blood. So that's how they kind of spread a lot of these various diseases. That's why they're called vectors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same reason why you always learn in your, in your say no to drug programs to not share needles. Because if you if you stab a needle into one person, then you stab a needle into another person. Stuff from the first person is going to get into the second yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and it's the same with our bugs, uh, and with mosquitoes. There are between three and six thousand species, which is a huge range. But it's very difficult to uh, make to know that you have all the species of bugs. It's like right. the one the one mm-hmm. area that we still like constantly discover new species because there's just so many of them, and they reproduce really quickly, right? So they can... Speciate uh, very fast. Yeah. <clears throat> and while most of, most of the types apparently do avoid humans, one of the main human species are Anopheles species. This is the one that we always hear about in relation to these... Hum- or that we most often hear about in relation to things like malaria. Anopheles mosquitoes. Okay. Canada is not home to all of those, <laughs> thankfully, but we are home to about 80 of different species. And the mosquitoes that are biting you, fun fact, are actually... Just the female mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, because they need, they suck your blood to get the protein from your blood. And that is what they need to produce eggs for the next generation. But the males are off getting nectar from flowers. So it actually makes them pollinators. And the females will eat nectar as well. So, you know, mosquitoes, we think of them as being all bad. But if they're getting nectar from flowers, that means they're going to be pollinating too, which we obviously need. You know, a lot of our bugs are in trouble. There's <laughs> a funny... Uh, uh, another funny meme. Is that, this is going to happen a lot. I didn't realize how much this was going to happen, but I apparently uh, absorb a lot of bug memes. It was just when it was like, what if vampires were the same way? And it was like only female vampires who sucked blood. And you were like running through a forest, being chased by a female vampire. And you run past her husband who was just like sucking on a tree. <laughs> <laughs> just a funny visual. We try to keep it light here. Yes. (laughs) Sarah looks at too many memes about bugs. I do look at too many memes about bugs. I didn't realize it was a problem until right now. It's the only way she can engage with the culture. (laughs) I mean, that's not wrong. (laughs) Sarah's a mosquito in a human suit. (laughs) Yeah, so they have this. (laughs) So the mosquitoes, not uh, eating trees, but they have this yeah needle-like proboscis that they pierce flesh to suck up blood through. It's like a stabby straw. I think of it like, you know, if you go get a boba tea these days or bubble tea and it's, you know, nowadays they often put like the single sheet of plastic as the lid over top. And then the, the straw has a little, it's got a little stabby part. And you just <gasps> you stab a straw and, and then you drink your bubble tea and it's amazing. I didn't know about that, but yes, it is exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, and then the way that they uh, find humans is a, a few things that they, they use, which I'll get to in a sec. Uh, but they actually, they can like smell or really sense carbon dioxide, which is why it's so hard to get away from them because we can't stop breathing. Uh, and they, so they, they sense the carbon dioxide and they fly towards higher concentrations of it in the same way that other animals, like the big cats or anything will sense smell or mm-hmm. dogs and then follow a scent trail. 
they follow a carbon dioxide trail. And they know that warm creatures produce carbon dioxide, which is why they follow it. Uh, and they're also very good at sensing humidity and moisture. Uh, and you might have heard with mosquitoes that some people are like, man, mosquitoes are fine for me. And other people are like, why me? I can't go outside. As soon as I go outside, I get eaten alive. What kind are you, Davis? Um, I'm sometimes a target. It depends on where I am a little bit, who I'm around. But yeah, I, I definitely do not avoid... I, I get my fair share of mosquito bites, for sure. For sure. I find they're not... They don't love me, but they don't ignore me. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little more in the middle, but there's a lot of people out there who are like, why me? Leave me alone. <laughs> um, and they're, we're not really, really sure what it attract, like what the specific differences are in people. But they, we do know a few clues and things that seem like they're very strong indicators, but we just don't know if it's really linked to our genetics and everything yet. Mm -hmm. But there is one thing that is absolutely linked to genetics and mosquitoes. So the mosquitoes have influenced human evolution because they're vectors for malaria. And because malaria killed so many people, it influenced human evolution. This is primarily in Africa and I believe India is a hotspot for Malaysia as well. Malaria. For Malaysia, for malaria. India is a hotspot for malaria. And anything that like takes out a big chunk of the population is going to have an effect on the on the continued evolution, right? It's going to be a, a we call it a, a selection pressure. Mm -hmm. So it pressures the natural selection into selecting for certain things that make the disease less deadly. And one of these things was sickle cell anemia. So sickle cell anemia is where you have, uh, we have our blood cells inside our body, right? And they're, they're usually round and very flexible. So they're just like little, little like flat spheres, right? And they're, they're kind of like donuts a yeah, little bit. Yeah, like they're, with no they're, real hole, but like a divot almost in the middle. Exactly. So they usually shift like this. They're very flexible so they can make it through our blood vessels and everything. But the sickle cell gene, it makes blood cells sickle shaped. So sickle is a tool that you use to like cut down wheat and stuff. You probably know of it with the Grim Reaper, carries a sickle. It's just like a crescent shape. Or if you're a good old comrade, yes, you'll the... know the sickle from the hammer and sickle. <laughs> yes, so if you're if you're a Russian communist or yes, a, Soviet. <laughs> a Soviet communist, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yep. Or just a crescent shape, like a croissant. Well, and that's why it was picked for that flag, was because it was a tool of the peasants for harvesting, you know, harvesting the harvest, bringing in the harvest. And it was, you know, the hammer and the sickle, the tools of... The proletariat. Yes. This is your little interesting fact. That's why they were picked. <laughs> now we know. Yeah, now you know. Fact to bugs. Symbology. It's got some, you know, we don't just do things willy-nilly, people. We think a lot <laughs> about lots of things, except about how to properly segue back into our topic. So we're not going to do that part. Uh, so yeah, so the, it makes our, our blood cells this crescent or sickle-shaped, and that makes them uh, harder and more fragile. And they, so when they're trying to get through like our little blood vessels and everything, they're more prone to making blockages, these sickle oh, cell ones. Okay. And that can be really, really damaging because if they, uh, like blood is carrying our oxygen and it, you need it for sugars and all that stuff. So if it, so if it gets uh, blocked somewhere, it can cause uh, a sickle cell crisis. That's what it's called. Mm. So these can last for minutes or hours and they can be like mild to severe depending on where they happen. Like think of it, if it happens in your brain, that's what leads to a stroke, right? Right, it's like a it's like a blood clot in, exactly. in some ways, right? Yeah. Exactly. So this sickle cell uh, gene it can reduce overall lifespan. 
So mm-hmm. it can be it's yeah. it's problematic in that way, but it it can help people survive childhood, which was children are the like very very susceptible to malaria and uh, to dying from malaria. So way back before we had good medication for malaria, if you had this gene, then you were less likely to die from malaria because. What happens when um, you have a mosquito that injects this parasite into you? Unknowingly, they just, that's just, they're just trying to eat you. Uh, they inject it into you. And then uh, the malaria parasite, it has to get into the red blood cells to complete a part of its life cycle. It's actually like, that's one of the parts of its life cycle is within our red blood cells. And if it tries to go into one of these sickle cell ones, because they're so much more fragile, this, the cell will often like break and burst before the parasite has a chance to fulfill that part of its life cycle, so the parasite will die. So if you had some sickle cell, then you were more likely to survive a malarial infection when you're younger, but the sickle cell can cause damage in you, or it can can really harm you later in your life. And with sickle cell, it's actually a bit more of a deviation. Sickle cell is a recessive disorder, so you need two copies. We all have two copies of every gene in us. And this disease needs you to have two copies of the sickle cell gene, like the mutated gene that causes sickle cell anemia. Uh, and if you only have one disease or one gene, you're a carrier of it, which is kind of like the best of both worlds because you're more you get some advantage or some defense against malaria, but you also you have normal red blood cells as well. So you're you're more likely to be healthier for longer due to sickle cell not being really bad and giving you some protection against uh, malaria. Mm-hmm. This one, it, this is an interesting one because this reminds me. I mean, sickle cell anemia is one that comes up as like again this case study in some biology classes. Yeah. But it always reminds me a lot of like not so much insect related, but the um, it's this is the same sort of thing with uh, cystic fibrosis, and that in certain populations more in Europe and 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 stuff like that was where access to clean drinking water, sometimes the water would get contaminated with like fecal sources, essentially, that it would lead to cholera. And that cholera causes you, basically, it it causes all of your cells to like void their water. So a lot of times with people that die of cholera, they die of dehydration because Mm -hmm. their, you know, their body is shedding all this water so quickly, faster than they can replace it. And every time they replace it, it's just getting, you know, removed as waste again um, before their body can make use of it. And what happened is that, and so basically the cure for cystic, or not for cystic fibrosis, sorry, there's no cure for cystic fibrosis, but the cure for cholera is basically just drinking clean drinking water because it flushes this bacteria out essentially. But it's the same thing. It's this for cystic fibrosis is it prevents your body from being able to properly remove some of the moistures and the mucuses and things like that. So when you get cystic fibrosis, it's in your lungs and your lungs can't clear the fluids and things that build up and it makes it very difficult to breathe. But if you have one copy of this gene, it affords a fair amount of protection towards cholera because it means that some of your cells aren't very likely, aren't very liable to like just force out all of this, their water content essentially. So that's why in certain European populations where they were living in cities and things like that very early and these things were happening, that the population, again, say exact same sort of thing where you are more likely to survive to adulthood and have children if you had a copy of this gene. Back then... If you were born with two copies of it, people with cystic fibrosis didn't necessarily live very long. Yeah. Uh, today, we have much better medical technology to help take care of those people. But it's still, it's a very debilitating condition. This is quite the bit of the aside, but it's just an interesting, it's another one that comes up as a case study. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it's this, it, it's another example of the same sort of, you can have these selection pressures toward in the human population. Yeah, selection pressures towards a disease that's not really favorable for humans, but it is because we've been so influenced by these mm-hmm. pathogens, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've, 
We might not like bugs and, and these parasites and pathogens, but we are who we are because of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, a quote I found was, No organism has influenced human evolution more than the malaria parasite and its chariots, the Anopheles mosquitoes. There you go. There you go. Chariot mosquitoes <laughs> for our gladiatorial arenas. It's like a flea, you know, like a flea circus, yeah. but with mosquitoes and chariots. And being ridden by diseases. Wait a second. Okay, this analogy got too mixed up. <laughs> it was fun for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to imagine little mosquitoes riding chariots. Yeah. Uh, so we've got, uh, they've influenced us, but what makes them like us? What makes them like some people more than others? So we talked about they like to go to carbon dioxide sources, but that's something we all have. So, like I said, we don't know exactly all of the other factors that make a mosquito like one person more than another. Uh, I always heard this in terms of like, oh, they like me because I have sweet blood. Yeah. That's not yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> there is some, there's some evidence that they prefer people with O-type blood, but I don't think oh. O-type blood is any sweeter than your regular bloods uh, in terms of like whatever sweet would mean to a mosquito, but that's besides the point. Yeah, so there's some evidence for mosquitoes liking O-type blood more than A or B, but this is not a confirmed thing like all the things i'm going to say they've been tested but they haven't been like really really tested mm -hmm. so it's... and i i have an interesting i'll, I'll share it later oh. but like i have an interesting there's a reason why some of these things are so hard to prove in both it both anything that involves these types of pheromones or these things that you've given off it's a, a course i took in university that i found fascinating and it does have to do with bugs because the professor was an animal an entomologist but i will say i'll save that for a little later okay. i think well while we talk about mosquitoes for a bit longer sounds good uh, so one of the things that uh, mosquitoes do like in terms of that like pheromone type thing is scent and mainly body odor. So they really like certain body odors, which are produced by hundreds of species of bacteria that we all have on our skin. So I know that's going to freak some people out because we don't like thinking about that we are just crawling with bacteria, literally crawling. <laughs> oh but, yeah, uh, on every surface. On every surface. It's everything. And some it's, of it is good for you too, Yeah, right? it's part of us. Yeah. We can't hate all of it. You've got it's, an entire biome in your your gut. It's a yeah. huge part, even of like, it, it's, it's something we have to even consider for like space exploration and stuff. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we wouldn't get very far without all these teeny tiny little bacterias and things. Absolutely. But anyway, so we got them on our skin and they are making... Like they're making different scent. So we have this, we have uh, all these bacteria on our skin and they're making different odors and different scents and stuff. And so there are some people who have lots of different types of bacteria, but not a lot of each one, which makes sense. Mm. It'd be like if you had mm -hmm. like 20 different types of fruit, but like one of each type of fruit, or you could have uh, a few species of bacteria, but a lot of each one. So you have like 10 apples and 10 oranges. You still have 20 pieces of fruit, but it's it's a different spread. Mm. And in one study, it found that uh, this one species of mosquito was more attracted to people who had lots of bacteria of a few types versus a few bacteria of a lot of different types. So like quantity over quality, so to speak. Yeah, like fewer or... fewer different. So they like the apples and oranges people mm. as opposed to the one of every fruit people. Right. Yeah. Mm. And, and we don't know why. This is. It could be that if you have these higher concentrations, they make stronger scents as opposed to like a muddling of a whole bunch of different scents. But that's just me hypothesizing. They do, as we said, eat nectar. So if you have a perfume or a cologne or a deodorant that is somewhat floral, uh, they're probably gonna like you more. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I remember thinking this when, like, scented uh, sunscreens and scented bug spray and stuff came out. And I was like, why would you scent yourself like the stuff they want? <laughs> uh, but it is important to put on things like deodorant because sweat does attract them. Uh, or particularly the lactic acid that humans produce. And we all produce it to varying degrees, but we produce it more when we sweat. So if you are particularly sweaty, probably going to attract more of these mosquitoes. Uh, but just don't cover up that sweat with something floral because I feel like then you're just, you're just like double attracting them. And that's not what anyone wants, except if you're studying them. <laughs> so they like the sweat, the lactic acid from it. And because they like sweat and carbon dioxide, if you have a higher metabolic rate, like if you just finished working out or you're actively working out, you're going to attract them more because you are producing more CO2 and you're producing more sweat and you're moving around. Mosquitoes have eyes. They do use... Uh, vision as a cue to come and find you, which is also partially with uh, liking dark clothing. So is this, there's an oh. idea of like, if you wear light colored clothing, they'll bother you less than if you wear really dark colored clothing. But that has more to do with the, your, your contrast to your surroundings. Cause if you're in something like, if you're in all black and you're standing in a field, mm -hmm. they can see you a lot better than if you're at all like beige and you're standing oh. in a field oh interesting yeah um i also want to say we're recording this and there's a seems to be a thunderstorm brewing <laughs> uh so you might hear some low scary rumbles because i'm hearing them through the mic on, <laughs> as i'm monitoring as we're recording <laughs> <laughs> yes it's it's not just uh not just pathetic fallacy just weather do you know what pathetic fallacy is? no i don't <laughs> and i didn't understand that at all i'm just smiling and nodding <laughs> i know you well though <laughs> Pathetic fallacy is when the weather uh, mirrors the like emotion of the situation that's going on. It's a literary uh, device, everyone. Oh, I yeah. learned a new literary device. Oh. That's always exciting. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> We're learning so many things today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's all of these different things about mosquitoes. They're all pieces of the puzzle. Um, and there's some evidence that the HLA genes are involved, which supports that human evolution influenced by Valeria, but we don't know for sure on that one. And if you're looking to how to avoid mosquitoes, right? I mean, you can just take everything I said and reverse it, but I can also just say it nice and easy for you. So they're most active at dawn and dusk and into the first couple hours of darkness. So if you right. can avoid, yeah, if you can avoid being out at those times, I mean, you always hear like the fishermen who go out early and get swarmed. Oh yeah. Which also makes sense. If you're looking for fish who eat mosquitoes, the mosquito, the fish are going to follow mosquitoes. Oh, good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I've actually heard that. Yeah, that you can use like mosquitoes on the water and like the ripple pat. Like if you see ripples, because like, that means the fish are coming to feed on them and you can use it as a tool to like guide where you should cast your lines and stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. I didn't know that, but that just makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, so they like these, they like dawn and dusk in the first couple hours of evening and they're more active in shady and cooler spots. So if you go into like bright sunny areas, you'll be less plagued by them typically. And like we said with the fish, they hang out near water, especially still water. This is where their young uh, are. They lay their eggs in the yeah. still water and that's mm -hmm. where they come to life and they eat like dead, they eat uh, like plant debris. Yeah. Pro tip, if you have like an, like if you have an outdoor space in your home or you take care of an outdoor space anywhere, uh, after it rains, if there are places where water catches and stands, the thing what you should do is obviously you want to like, you should dump the water out because then they're not going to grow in it at all. But in certain areas, it's just disturbing the water a few hours or like a day after it's rained will like prevent, like it'll kill whichever 
eggs have been laid in there because they need still water to develop. And then as well, it'll, you know, by dumping it out or getting rid of it, it'll prevent more uh, mosquitoes from from growing in those in those spaces so little homeowner tip there is yeah just like you know yeah shake it out or just disturb the water a little bit and it can help prevent mosquito populations around your house neat that's especially if you have you can make a butterfly bath or if you have a bird bath that's yep. a very good yep. tip yeah it's sometimes like you see those man-made lakes places right like in some of the communities in the city and stuff like that they'll put in like one of these lakes and it's, you, just, you look at it and you think it's like it's mosquito central like it's just a big <laughs> still pond like man-made pond but often what they'll do is they'll put a water feature in it mm. so there's some sort of like a big fountain and there's some sort of pump running all the time and it's creating a ripple effect so it isn't just standing water that's smart mm-hmm. But again, like you want to have some of these animals there, some of these insects there, because it attracts other animals like ducks and you know things like that that are more um, favorable for people to see. I suppose is the word. Yeah. I mean, ducks don't suck our blood, so that's probably part of it. Although you know, don't piss off a goose, right? Like, oh yeah, you know? no, no, I, I don't want to fight them, but they're they're less <laughs> of an immediate. Like yeah. right? You can also avoid them a lot easier. Yes, it's true. Yeah, they mostly <laughs> just like walk away. They're not really that interested. Yeah. Yeah, unless they have babies, and then the geese, yes. the goose will. Geese, yeah, geese especially. Yeah. <laughs> not the same as ducks, but yeah, they're and not vicious. the same as other geese. Like Canada geese are. Oh, true. <laughs> yeah, Canada geese are their own special breed. Uh, but yeah, so you can do those things to try to avoid them. But if you uh, want to use bug spray, because that is something that you really do have to use depending on where you're going. Like you go and hike in Alberta in in June, mm-hmm. probably want some bug spray. Oh yeah. Uh, so and you want at least twenty to thirty percent of the active ingredient of the following. So DEET, D E E T. It's one we've all probably heard of. There's issues around it because it's very strong, but it also is very effective because it's very strong. And then uh, one of the other main ones is oil of lemon eucalyptus, O-L-E. And that's like, I heard one of the only like truly natural ones that is effective. Because you Mm -hmm. always hear these like natural ones and citronella is a scent that I've always associated with it because you can like citronella candles. But I've also always noticed that like they help, but they're not perfect. So they're like, not not a bad idea to have around. And like, that scent is very attached to summer to me now. Mm. Uh, so, but <laughs> not like if you're just getting like citronella lotion, I don't know if they make that. That's not going <laughs> to, that's not going to do you as well. And then some others that I, that were named were Picaridin, uh, IR3535, paramenthane diol or PMD, and 2-undecanone. Which I read as under canoe, but that's not what it says. <laughs> it's hard to get through that. Uh, and these bug sprays do work for some of the next creatures that we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, and you can also do other preventative things like wearing long sleeves, anything you can do to like reduce your visible skin mm-hmm. so they can't mm-hmm. get you. Uh, like even if you're in a place that's like really heavy with any bugs. I did this uh, summer I worked with butterflies. I actually, we had to go around uh, to different populations and we went to some areas with ticks. So tucking, yeah, your, wearing ticks. long I'm pants and tucking your, ticks. yeah, tucking your pants into your socks, you will look like a dweeb, but you won't get bitten by a tick. So it's mm-hmm. a good trade-off. And so if you really, really hate mosquitoes or something, you can always do that as well to keep them off your ankles. And bug net clothing is always an option. They can be warm <laughs> and you definitely look like a dork, but you're not going to get bitten by bugs. So you're the, re- you're the real winner in that case. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and moving on to some of those other bugs, unless Davis, you have any more mosquito things you would like to share no no i don't think so i um i don't know if we're going to talk about ticks later or should we talk? not okay so yeah i think you know the ticks i, I guess they come up a bit with the mosquitoes because they're also blood suckers but you you mentioned it about like yeah rolling your you know tucking your your socks and things in and like 
there are areas in Alberta where we get lots of ticks. It's not as bad as some of the areas in Ontario where like the ticks, you just like every time you go camping, you got to check yourself. But you you do, if you go camping and you're walking through the brush and sting, things like that, like you want to check yourself for ticks because they can carry Lyme disease. And Lyme disease is one of those really debilitating diseases that can be really difficult to diagnose. And in Canada, it's actually very hard to get a, a proper Lyme disease diagnosis. Yeah. And it can just really upend your life. But because what happens basically is the tick gets stuck in your skin. They're injecting you with this toxin that they produce and it builds up over time so you want to check like and especially anywhere areas that you have hair you want to check very carefully and like feel along those areas because you'll feel like a little bump and that is the mm -hmm. tick it's buried in and then you have to be very careful about removing them because you have to make sure to get the basically the head of the tick yeah. out um, or it'll keep injecting you with toxin mm -hmm. yes uh if there's a if you go to an area that's like maintained and there is like known ticks with Lyme disease there's usually going to be some sort of sign postage. That's true. It's like places if you go and there's poison ivy or poison right. oak or something, they, yeah. they will often have a sign, at least in places in Canada. Yeah, so very true. Definitely a thing to look out for. And if, oh, as we talk about ticks, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and especially if you're, if you go to one of those places, you want to do the check. Uh, that summer that I was working at, in areas with ticks and like I did all the things. I had long sleeves. I had my pants tucked into my socks and we got back to the hotel room and it was like, I did a workout. And as I was changing out of my workout clothes, I found a tick oh. on my bra strap. And I was like, wow. So, and they're really hard to kill. Like I tried to crush this thing and I could not. Yeah. Yeah. And my boss later tried to like stomp on one and it like popped back to life and continued crawling towards him. It was awful. So, <laughs> uh, and if you, if you can, if you do, and you, especially if you think you've gotten bitten by the tick, uh, if you can catch it. Put it in like a little container, a little vial oh, or something. Oh, yeah. And then you can take it in. Like if you're at a, especially if you're at a, a provincial park, take it into the park office and uh, ask them because they're probably going to be able to tell you if it's a tick that would carry Lyme disease or not because not all species of ticks carry it. Hmm. There you go. I believe it's the little ones you have to watch out for, not the big ones. Yes, it is. It's the smaller yeah. ones. Yeah. Uh, so Classic. Always. Yeah, just like with scorpions. It's, it's actually true. A lot of smaller animals tend to tend to be the ones that are more, more likely to produce certain types of toxins and things like that because of nature, the nature of them being smaller and not able to get up to certain sizes. They shift some of the evolutionary, like the pressures get shifted more towards producing toxins and things like that. Rather than if you're big, you don't actually need to produce that many types of like, it, it's, uh, this comes up in scorpions actually, yeah, which yeah. are, you know, uh, arachnids. Yeah. But they, um, big scorpions actually tend to have less toxin than smaller scorpions. Yeah. Which makes sense, right? You can't, if you're big, you defend yourself by being big. Exactly. And like fighting. Exactly. It's like with poison dart frogs. Mm -hmm. uh, All right. So you got your ticks, you got your... Every time we mention them. <laughs> uh, ticks, your butterflies, and your mosquitoes. Now we're going to move on to something else that can be real annoying. Flies. Flies and midges. Uh, so there was actually... We Shoe talking... fly don't bother me. Yep. Yeah, especially when... That was the weirdest way to say flies. that. Yep. <laughs> we're just going to roll through. Uh, so we were talking about how this year there's been like a lot of bugs recently. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of these uh, bugs that has been really in evidence is the lake fly up at a place called Pigeon Lake, which is just southwest of Edmonton in Alberta here. So this is about like three and a half, four hours north north of where we are here. But yeah, lake flies. So there were huge swarms of them. If you like, people who lived there said they were like just not going outside. If you looked at the side of like their houses, they were like coated. And there's this uh, video I saw of people like they could like scoop up a handful of these oh. lake flies because they're all dead because 
they don't have mouth parts. Oh yeah, I think so, I've heard of this before. Yeah, yeah. So so they look like mosquitoes and they sound like them, but they uh, they're actually midges, which is this type of fly. Uh, they're coronamids, or corona, yeah, coronamids, and they they're not as bad as mosquitoes because they can't bite us because they don't have mouth parts, which is weird. Uh, but they the individuals only live a few days. They basically, like a number of species of bugs, this is not unusual in the insect world. They only they come alive, they mate, and they die, and that's like their whole life cycle. They wow. don't have mouth parts they can't eat. There's a type of butterfly or moth or something. Yeah, that has yeah, these two. <laughs> I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah. So, lake flies, they were more just like a general annoyance as opposed to aggressive. Because mm. uh, there are types of midges who bite, but thankfully not these. And like we were saying before, like fish like to eat this stuff. If you have a big population of this, it's actually a good a sign that your ecosystem is doing good. So your ecosystem is doing right. well hmm. because it's a really good food for fish and birds and things mm-hmm. like that. And the ecosystem can support a lot of them. Like it's, you know, they've obviously had a good season or whatever, right? Lay lots of eggs and producing lots and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But one, uh, one less enjoyable, tiny little fly, <laughs> super, super tiny, are noceums. Have you hmm. ever heard that before? No, I've never heard that before. So literally the words no, see, and um, like them, but colloquial. No seeums because you don't see them because they are one to four millimeters. Oh, oh my goodness. They are super teeny. They're also called sand flies, right. sand fleas, biting midges, or punkies. <laughs> so <laughs> those are fun names. You get punked by a punky. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, so Davis is counting. I saw a flash, so I'm trying to count the lightning. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, one to four millimeters. They're much smaller than mosquitoes. Uh, but their bite is much more painful because unlike a mosquito with its needle-like proboscis, right? Just like slips in there like a needle. Needles aren't as painful. Mm. Uh, these ones have as, I'm going to say this the way that University of Alberta biologist, Dr. Heather Proctor said it because she put it very well. It has a couple of blades inside its mouth parts and it quickly slices your skin so that you bleed noticeably and then they lap it up. That sounds like insect nightmare stuff for sure. Yep, mouth blades. <laughs> Uh, and so these bites can uh, leave a welt. Uh, I've seen people, like, pictures of bites on dogs and stuff as well. And it's like, it's a substantial welt for such a tiny creature. And it can stay red and itchy for days. Oh, yeah. Are you itching because you're thinking about bugs? I am. I am itching because I'm thinking about <laughs> bugs. I can, like, oh, uh, yeah, I feel crawl over my skin. So, sorry, Davis and everyone. Yeah, I was I, I recognize the name Sandfly, too. And, like, yeah, yeah, you see, oh, man, in some of those environments, you see there's so many of them. And, yeah, you, like, in areas where, in beaches where there's lots of sandflies, like, yeah, you don't want to put your legs in the, the legs in the sand too much because they'll bite you and they just, you can just get covered with these bites in, like, a single day. Yeah, and they're so little, like. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about them, obviously, <laughs> with their where, with their weird name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their weird, very literal name. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Every once in a while I get a name and you're like, yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> uh, that's biologists for you. <laughs> uh, and and when, one, uh, when one does pierce the flesh, as it were, uh, <laughs> it injects a liquid that, that thins the blood to keep it from clotting. Uh, so yeah. Because it, it wants your blood to be very liquid so that it can have enough time to like lap up whatever it wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can cause irritation, and it can also trigger the body's immune system, which is part of why the... Uh, like the reaction you get from it is so much worse than with like a mosquito bite because the mosquito is going into your like capillaries to suck it from there, whereas the fly needs the blood to come to the surface and not clot, and like cover up right away. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's got these like basically like anticoagulants. Yeah. The snake venom has a 
I yeah. don't know if it would be a similar compound, but it's a similar function. Right. Of like, right. Well, I'm going to make you bleed to death, but this is very, very small. You're not going to bleed to death with one of these noceums, but you're going to not have a good day. <laughs> and uh, they, like mosquitoes, breed in stagnant water, but they don't usually form large swarms, and they tend to stick closer to water. So if you are having issues with noceums, you can walk away a little easier than mosquitoes or a couple of the other uh, flies we're going to get to. Mm. Yeah. And this one goes uh, from egg to larvae to adult in only a few days for each stage. They're most active at dawn and dusk. And again, only the females go for the blood. Hmm. So it seems to be a common thread that I didn't realize, but now we, the more you know. Um, and uh, there's a species of noceum actually that is parasitic to mosquitoes. It will bite the bellies of mosquitoes oh, wow. and steal the blood that the mosquito just stole from someone else. Just turtles all the way down. Just just blood-sucking insects all over each other. It's a, it's a vicious world, the bug world. Yes, that's <laughs> very true. Anytime you get really small, things just get horrible. Like the soil environment, but I will not get into that now. <laughs> soil environment is a terrifying place. But instead of going to that, we're going to talk about black flies, which are simulidae, I believe, in Canada, is home to 161 species of black fly. And these are uh, smaller. They're like s smaller than housefly size, especially if you <laughs> have those like giant houseflies that yeah. have come up. Uh, they're smaller than that. They're small, they're black or gray, and they have short legs and antennae. Hmm. So if you're trying to, like, what bit me? You're like, <laughs> mm. You're really trying to uh, figure it out, and you caught one. And these ones, uh, they, again, reach adulthood in spring, so in May or June. They develop from eggs and their larvae in water. But... They do not like stagnant water. They need running water. Interesting. So we might be stopping mosquito populations, <laughs> but maybe black flies will come and settle in instead. Which, uh, again, our black flies are only the female that bites. Most species of black fly apparently all bite birds, more so than humans. Hmm. And the males, again, are pollinators. They get nectar. Uh, and the females do this as well. Um, but the females need the blood for the protein for the eggs. Right. Yeah. And black flies are opposite to our mosquitoes in that they feed exclusively during the day. And apparently, their activity intensifies before a storm and may continue all day during overcast days. Interesting. So I wonder if today, before this storm, oh. if in certain areas there was an increase in black fly activity. I would be curious to know. I wouldn't know. I was here prepping for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my house prepping for the podcast. <laughs> um, but fortunately, black flies don't tend to enter buildings or tents. And when they do, apparently, they don't bite very much. Interesting. I don't know why, but these are things that I read. So ah. I'm telling you, <laughs> you can fact check me if you want. Um, and this bite is like the noceum. The bite cuts and ruptures the skin. And black flies tend to land and crawl along for a while before they bite. Uh, any thoughts on black flies, Davis? I, you know, I think when I, th when I hear the word black fly, I think the, the image that jumps to my mind is like the house fly and then maybe a little bit like the massive like horsefly and stuff like that and i can see that like that's maybe the one we're gonna talk about next yes. but yeah so I, I don't know that like i'm as familiar with the black fly um i find it curious that they're more likely to bite birds i mean i feel like a, a bird is a more challenging target than a human but yeah i guess you evolve to do certain things and then it doesn't matter but yeah and birds are also a lot more abundant 
They were, right? And I guess if you're near <laughs> if you're near a running water supply, you're probably more likely to encounter lots of birds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Versus like the stagnant water and stuff like that, maybe. Yeah. But hmm, interesting. I haven't heard of black flies as much out here, but in Ontario they're uh they're oh, a okay. menace. <laughs> uh, well, there yeah. you go. My uh, my parents' cottage, they're like, Yes, May is black fly season. <laughs> so you just <laughs> tell time be prepared. by the mosquito season by the insect seasons. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty uh consistent. Mm-hmm. Although changing temperatures changes them, but that's fine. But yes, you did segue very well into it's deer and horse flies next. It's deer and horse fly season on the podcast right now. Oh, dear. Uh, and <laughs> I love this. I came across a reference that referred to them as flying demons. I mean, accurate. Yeah, not wrong. <laughs> so I had to share. Uh, and these are tabanid family, uh, deer and horse flies. Again, the females are the ones uh, doing the biting and drinking blood. These ones are active during the day. They like sunny areas and will not usually enter deep shade. So there's a lot of horse flies that actually go after livestock, like horse and cattle. Mm -hmm. And so if the horse and cattle have like a barn they can escape to, the horse flies won't be nearly as bad inside the barn because they like the sunny areas. And like our mosquito friends, they are attracted to CO2 and warmth and movement. Uh, But deer and horse flies also like shiny surfaces and wet skin. Mm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know, maybe the wet skin thing is just part of, like, the perspiration, and maybe they have that scent like the mosquitoes might, and they're just going... Mm. There's that. there's a really interesting life hack that I've heard um, <laughs> to pr- try to keep, like, flies, certain types of flies away, like or, like, try to keep them from coming into your house and stuff like that. And so what you can do is you take a plastic Ziploc baggie, right, like a sandwich baggie, and you put a penny, and I mean, I know pennies are a little bit harder to come by these days, <laughs> but you put any sort of coin in it. And then you fill it up and you seal the bag and then you tape it to like the top of a door frame, uh, you know, like a door frame that's leading outside or whatever. And the light will hit it and it will cast this, you know, this, it'll cast, like, you, you know, when you see light go through a translucent bag, right? And it kind of casts that shadow, the light shadow with like the ripples and stuff like that. And it'll hit the coin and it'll reflect off and it'll become very disorienting and it's not very attractive to the flies and it keeps them away. That's the life hack that I've heard. I've never really tried it out, but like, I've, I've seen it on a number of different things and it works again off this principle that they're attracted to these these shiny objects but you're sort of like I think what it is is that you're discombobulating them or either that or you're giving them something to fixate their attention on that's not a human yeah I hope it's not the second one though if you're putting it over your doors that yeah because then they're, they're gonna be flying right <laughs> to it I'm, I think it might be the discombobulation but I have to, I'd have to double check yeah yeah but neat though mm-hmm. yeah. so I mean, try it out yeah basically like putting a disco ball yeah mm-hmm. yeah there you go <laughs> The, the the anti-fly disco ball coming to a store near you, as seen on TV. I would be so tempted if that was, like, in the checkout. Line. Yeah, yeah. Like, anti-fly disco ball. How could I not buy this? <laughs> to trademark it. Yep, there you go. Patent pending. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, they, so they might not like that, but they like regular shiny things. And just like our noceums, they use knife-like, knife-like mouth parts to slice the skin and feed on the subsequent blood pool with a sponge-like mouth part. Ew. Also, mouth part is one word, which is weird, but... <laughs> it's because they like don't really have words. mouths. They have mouth parts. Yeah, it's mouth part. It's one word. Oh. All right. Uh, and with deer and horse flies, especially because they're a little bigger, it feels like they're taking a chunk of skin, which is absolutely what it feels like. And if like, your pet gets bit by one of these ones, it can, like, it can swell up more. Uh, and so these bites can be painful, and the insects, those salivary secretions to help keep your blood nice and liquid, can cause an allergic reaction and even fevers in some people. Not fun, and they're also very strong flyers. They can fly long distances from their breeding sites. So these are uh, not the one to try to run away from. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> they will follow you. Uh, and they don't land on their victim for long. So other bugs are more susceptible to things like bug spray because they have to land on you for longer right. and it can like get into their system. But deer and horse flies, they fly around you. They fly around your head in circles for a while. And when they, when they do land, it's like to bite you. It's not like the black flies that land and crawl. Not like the mosquitoes that have to like find the spot and suck in. They're like land bite. So they're very fast. Oof. They're very persistent. <laughs> very good flyers. So the best defense method, this is probably one of my favorite new fact I learned in researching this. So swatting and running, as noted, only is good to attract more flies. Because you are raising your metabolic rate, you are, so that means you're more CO2, you're sweating more, and you're swatting, you're moving more, they can see you more. So don't run and swat. <laughs> what you should do is put sticky tape on the back of your hat. Hmm. If you have a ball cap, you can put sticky tape, and then the flies that fly around your head and they go to land on you and they land on the tape and they get stuck to the tape. And there's actually a product. It is called Tread Knot Deer Fly Patches. Hmm. And if you Google it, you will see pictures of baseball caps with what looks like it's like the, the thickness of duct tape. Right. And it's like this strip of like, I don't know, four inches along the back of a cap. And it is just like full of flies. Oh. And some people will do like two strips. So you got like a T and they're just full of flies. Oh my goodness. And if it is worth, like if it is that versus having all the flies bite you. Oh, for sure. That is absolutely preferable. But it, that is disgusting. It's a lot of <laughs> flies. Full of flies. A lot of flies. Hey, if you've ever had to put fly tape up in like a kitchen yeah. or... Anything like that, you know what it looks like. It's gross, but some, sometimes you got to do it. I I worked in beer for a little while, right? And like, you know, beer. You got all these all this beer drying up places, and it's just very sweet, and it attracts a lot sticky. of insects. It's sticky, and like, oh man, every couple of months, or you know, you just have to do like a big like, we're getting the fruit flies. We're gonna we're gonna get rid of them all, and we're like, we got some flies. You got to hang all the fly tape and. And I'm a pretty tall guy, so sometimes, like, the fly <laughs> tape would be too low, and then I'm walking into the fly Ew. tape, I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Fly tape, it, it varying levels of of use, but, uh, or of effectiveness, I should say. Yeah. But uh, Probably good for, like, really high concentrations of bugs. Yes, yeah, exactly. And they have to really be, like, active and flying around yeah. to, to, to fall victim to, to that particular technique. Yeah. So, but if you stick the tape to you, they're going to try to get you anyway. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's why it works. But yes, you should look that up. It was, uh, I had no idea, but what a, sometimes the best solution is the most simple, you know? Mm -hmm. Was that Occam's razor? Yes, that yeah. is Occam's razor, yep. Uh, but anyway, so these, <laughs> these bugs, they don't uh, reproduce as fast as the other ones we've talked about. The larval stage for deer and horseflies can last one to three years, depending on the species. I saw some conflicting things, but one to three kind of covers it. So the deer fly is the chrysops species, and these are smaller than horseflies. They have dark bands across their wings and brightly colored eyes, and their bodies are often yellow and black. Versus horseflies, which are families Tabanus and Hybometra. Hybometra. And so these are three quarters to uh, up to two inches long. Mm -hmm. But I heard I uh, read that only the the two inch ones only uh, go after livestock and not people. Thankfully, a two inch <laughs> horsefly is terrifying. But the human ones can get up to like one and a quarter inches, which is also not great. Uh, and these ones have clear or solidly colored wings and again, brightly colored eyes. And horseflies can consume one cubic centimeter of blood per meal. And there that's, was one thing- That's a milliliter. Oh, thank yeah, you. cubic centimeter is a milliliter. <laughs> well, a cubic centimeter of water is a milliliter, but it's the same thing because it's a volume measurement, so. I appreciate that. Yeah. I was like, what does CC it's, mean? It's one of the, it's one of the best 
aspects of the metric system. And it's sort of one of the principal relationships that the metric system is sort of built upon. Uh, and it's what makes it so effective is because you can, you've got this direct translation from like centimeter measurement to volume measurement. I love it. Yep. Good old metric system. Super useful. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, simple solution. Just make them line up. Yeah, so so to overview those bugs that we've, we've gone over, the biting bugs. So the biting flies, they locate humans and other animals by sensing the carbon dioxide and moisture in our exhaled breath. They like dark colors, because we stand out more against our background, and movement, because they, they do have eyes, they do hunt with vision. Mm -hmm. And they like warmth and perspiration. So running will only help you while you continue moving, as long as you're moving quickly. And when you stop and you're out of breath and breathing hard, they're going to be more attracted to you. Uh, so you'll attract even more of them. And once a suitable host is located, the biting flies, so not the mosquitoes, are biters. They, the mosquitoes, they will insert their piercing mouth part or lacerate the skin, so cut the skin, uh, inject the anticoagulant-containing saliva to keep the blood flowing, and then laps up all that blood. I actually have a, a story here oh, after a lot of facts about bugs. <clears throat> so one time when we were camping, when we were younger, my dad went out for a run, and he came back with this, like, horror story of he was running through the forest, and, like, a bug came over to him, and then another bug came over to him, and then more and more, and he, until he was, like, in a swarm of these oh, bugs. Oh, yeah, So he's yeah. running, like, faster and faster, trying <laughs> to get out of the forest and, like, swatting at them, because he's just like, he just has to get to the sun. So I don't know what they were, because... Not a lot of ours, but we've only talked about a few species. So he's, like, running because they're all trying to bite him, and he's just, like, sprinting through the forest. <laughs> and then when he gets out into the sun, they do, like, mostly fall back. But it's, like, oh, man, that is such a vivid image in my head. Yeah. Just, like, he's just If someone tells you that when you're, like, a kid, and then you're, like, oh, no. Just imagine <laughs> this, like, him. force field of flies around yeah. your head. And, like, my dad did triathlons and runs and stuff, so he was, like, not a slow guy. Yeah. And I was, like, oh, man, I hope I don't get stuck in that situation. <laughs> gonna be bad that, that's pretty brutal uh, yeah. does not sound fun yep so yeah running it they may he may have just attracted more but he was in he was in their territory so he just had to get out yep. uh yeah so you know your bugs but if you're in the forest you get attacked by bugs in shade you're you're probably safe to go in the sun and hmm. they'll probably leave you alone you know that's there's bugs that like shade and there's bugs that like sun <laughs> don't quote me on that yeah. <laughs> bugs are everywhere uh, and then the ways to deal with these types of bugs are wear light-colored clothing, long sleeves and pants, a bug shirt or, like, a bug hat or anything, like, with that really fine mesh is uh, effective, uh, although it can be pretty warm. You want to tuck your pants into your socks, or you can wear gaiters, which are, like, things you put over top of your boots and cover mm -hmm. your lower leg to limit black flies around your ankles. Apparently, black flies just, like, love biting your ankles. And keeping your cuffs and your collar tight. So just like with the tick prevention... The more skin you cover and the more tightly you cover it and the, with thick clothing mm -hmm. uh, or like you can get clothing that's like meant to be more resistant to mosquitoes right. and stuff that's not as thick, but it's more expensive, of course. Um, so, yeah, those sorts of things. Hmm. Uh, apply insect repelling to your clothing if necessary. Uh, just make sure to read the repellent labels closely because some of them like ones containing DEET, they work, but they're very strong. So mm -hmm. you want to be careful with them. Uh, and you can also plan trips in the late summer or in the fall when the bugs the bugs are much more active in spring. And one fun fact, or one uh, one fun piece of advice I came across is if you travel with someone who's more attractive to the flies than yourself, then you might be okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to prove who who hard to run objective tests on who is more or less attractive to the various insects that are around us. That's true. Mm -hmm. And if you uh, if you are with someone who's more attractive to bugs, the bugs will get close to you by proxy. So, yeah, exactly. I don't know how good they, that I tip think they'll is. identify you as a target. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
And now we get to the bug I have been waiting to talk about. <laughs> we just don't have them here, so uh, they were they'd be less uh, less meaningful to a lot of us. But they are the bug in the news that really oh. uh, kicked this off. In addition to my camping trip, they are cicadas. <laughs> so cicadas cicada there are year-round cicadas but there are also cicadas on annual schedules and these like absurd annual schedules so there's one we are in a cicada brood year and brood 10 it looks like brood x which sounds way cooler but it's <laughs> yeah. it's 10 is in the roman numeral 10 and brood 10 has a 17 year life cycle jeez yeah it's, it's long for a bug yeah it stays underground for 17 years, and then they all emerge at once. And it's not a few. It is trillions mm-hmm. of individuals. Uh, so so they're underground, and they're uh, sucking on tree sap when they're in their, like, larval stage, basically. So they don't... They look kind of just like smaller... They look more like smaller cicadas without wings. Uh, and one entomologist, Michael uh, Ropp, Raup, referred to this as a COVID-like existence <laughs> underground, which I found pretty Trapped funny. Trapped inside. Exactly. With only your neighbors. So they're there, and then their emergence is triggered by their internal body clock and ground temperatures. So kind of like I alluded to earlier, with climate change increasing temperatures, the cicadas used to emerge in late May, but they're emerging earlier and earlier. So, like, early mid-May now. Hmm. And yeah, like I said, there are trillions of them that were set to emerge and have emerged through, uh, it's, it's like 15 eastern U.S. states, and it's a numbers game. It is a pure numbers game, because if only a few of them came out, they would be doomed to be eaten. Like, birds, cats, whatever was around would eat these bugs. But predators can't eat trillions at once! (laughs) (laughs) It is a pure numbers game. I've actually seen video of uh, predators who are, like, literally so stuffed on cicadas, (laughs) because of, like, a 17 or there's 13-year broods as well. They're so stuffed, they were, like, unable to eat anymore. They're just, like, watching them go by. Because mm-hmm. they've eaten so many, and there's just still so many. Yep. It's like a, it's a horde mentality. Yep. You know, and, like, any fantasy thing, there's always just, like, a horde of goblins. <laughs> and, like, the waves just kept coming! It's true. There's a number of animals that use this uh, particular strategy, and even, like, other organisms, like trees and stuff like that, where, yeah, it's just, like, I, I know there's a fish that does something similar, and, like, they've even tried to like track this bloom of eggs from these fish and it's been hard to kind of because the ocean's so big so it's been hard to find the areas where they're spawning and stuff like that but yeah where it's the same idea of like you've got this thing that's attractive to other predators and things like that but if you just if you just flood the market with them (laughs) then uh then yeah eventually some of them are gonna get through Mm -hmm. yeah it's the it's the greater good strategy yep you know yeah (laughs) well exactly self-sacrifice for the greater good uh well Less self-sacrifice and more just like, we all emerged at once. Oh, no, they got eaten. Um, And actually, I came across humans eat them too. Oh, really? Humans will, like, be taking these brood uh, brood 10 cicadas and, like, making meals with them. Interesting. And I want to know, would you try cicada? Oh, yeah, for sure. I've I've tried bugs before. Um, I've done, like, the cricket thing. I've had grasshopper. Um, Oh, there's another one that's often commonly... Uh, mealworms? I don't know if I've done them. I, I think I have tried mealworms. I don't really like mealworms. Um, cricket and grasshopper, though, I don't. You don't. You don't notice too much. I've I've debated buying cricket powder before. Oh yeah, uh, you can get like cricket flour now. Yeah yeah, 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 and that's like super easy to like mix into things and just like ups your protein count. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And as a vegetarian, it seems like a good option. 
Yeah. Right. To like increase my protein. I have a lot less qualms about eating bugs. There's so many of them. And like they're lot lower order animal. Brains aren't as sophisticated. Yeah. So like there's a line, but I also, if bugs are the only meat type product that I eat, then I'm the person who eats bugs. And I haven't been able to get over that yet. (laughs) As opposed to like, oh yeah, no, I eat all the things. And I just like wanted to try to be like, I'm vegetarian. Who also eats bugs? So it just is not a step I'm, I'm able to take. I'm a in. bugatarian. An insectivore. Yeah, but mine was cooler. <laughs> mine is more accurate. That's true. <laughs> so you might eat them. We might eat them. You know. Uh, so cicadas are trying to avoid the things that might eat them. So they're going to come out mostly at dusk to avoid a lot of these creatures that want to eat them. Uh, <laughs> quote I came across was squiggling out of holes in the ground. And then they, they want to climb up trees or anything vertical, including humans. So if you were nearby to a whole bunch and you were, I guess, still enough for them to get on you, they would try mm. to climb you. Wow. And the reason they're doing this is because they have to shed their skin. So I went <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> it was actually the same. It was the butterfly summer. We went to uh, a park in Toronto and cicadas had, they were just like regular cicadas. But I didn't know they did this. So they climb up a tree and they attach to the tree. And then their adult form, they don't spin like a cocoon or something like butterflies. They just like the adult form is like growing inside. It's like how a snake sheds their skin, but like more dramatic. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's more dramatic though. So it comes out of this like, like the the younger stage. And then it's like the top of the head slits open. It bursts out of its own skin. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it bursts like really, really slowly. (laughs) So it'll just like really, really slowly, like wiggle their way out of their old skin. And then they have to, like, get out and then their wings dry before they can go anywhere. And this is, like, a super vulnerable stage because it takes a while. And they, like, can't move quickly and they can't fly away. Uh, so they're very, very vulnerable. But they, uh, yeah, it's so weird. And then they leave, but the, the, the old exoskeleton is still attached to the tree. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times that it will fall. And you just find these, like, bug, it's like bug skeletons, but it's the exoskeleton because the thing inside crawled away. It's so weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I've never gotten over it. It was years Fair ago. Enough. Yeah, they're like little aliens. And when you see them coming out, like I saw a cicada that was like almost out, but it wasn't. And it just looks dead. Because it's not moving. Like, it's not oh. like shaking and like w- like really yeah. wiggling around. It's just like very slowly emerging. And you're just like, this wow. is what is happening. <laughs> now you know, everyone, who's not going to see one in person. <laughs> uh, and, and one thing about cicadas that is less, by far less creepy, but <laughs> no less disturbing... Thank you. To your peace and quiet, they're very, very loud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so it's only the males who sing, as it's called, but they can be up to 100 or 105 decibels, which is as loud as a lawnmower. And if you've ever heard it, you know this, it is very high-pitched. Yeah, it's intense. It's like a scream. Yeah, and like one of them is a lot. So a whole bunch of them. Uh, Entomologist John Cooley described it as... Uh, it's like a single bar gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> sure. Just a bunch of males screaming. Oh, my God. <laughs> really high pitched. Uh, and so they make the sound by vibrating uh, little plates they have on either side of their body. Uh, and this this volume of sound they can produce allows females up to 1.5 kilometers away to hear them, which is not a big, of, not as big of a problem with the giant broods because mm. there are trillions. But for our regular cicada friends that are just trying to find a mate in the regular world, they, uh, this is a good strategy. I mean, it makes birds and stuff know where you are, but it's also so loud it can be a deterrent to birds. Wow. 
Yeah. There you go. It's a self-defense mechanism. Just yep. scream really loudly. For a long time. <laughs> with with trillions of you doing it at once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're, they're screaming. They're singing to find a mate. And then once they do find a mate, they will mate uh, in, in the higher, bigger tree branches. And then the females will move to the smaller branches to lay their eggs. And then the adults die. So like a lot of bug life cycles, yeah. they live, they mate, they die. And just... Just because, um, but they die and the, their carcass will fall to the earth and it actually nourishes the plants then that they were feeding on. And there's uh, some evidence that the trees, like trees that are in these boom areas, will actually do really well in the next year because of all the nutrients returned to the soil uh, from these, yeah, from the bug carcasses. Sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, like, like fertilizer. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just has to be really loud first. Uh, <laughs> and they, they only typically damage really young trees. Okay. So, mm. I came across this whole cycle, the the emerging, the mass death, the screaming, the mating, the second death, and egg laying uh, only lasts a few weeks. So it's not like a whole summer of horror. It's just <laughs> a little summer of horror, a spring mm. of horror. Yeah. Uh, a then, fortnight of horror. <laughs> yeah. I think a little longer than a fortnight, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I just like fortnight the word. Of horror I, is just, fun. I just said <laughs> it. Yeah, it sounded like a fun way to say it. I like it. <laughs> Uh, and then after six weeks after the eggs are laid, the nymphs will hatch. They'll fall to the earth, which can be like 80 feet. They're high up in these trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, very specifically, an entomologist said they bounce twice. I feel like that can't be, but I was like, I have to include this. Uh, and then they burrow underground and stay there for 17 years. There you go. <laughs> Quite the existence. <laughs> Quite the existence, indeed. And living around broods of cicadas like this is also quite the existence. I have a gross fact. All right. You I, you the, warned me about this. I did. It's the bug episode. So oh it's a gross fact. Grosser than the creepy crawly ones. So there's so many cicadas in these areas when these broods emerge that um, a university entomologist, Daniel Gruner, ex- Gruner? Gruner explained that the cicadas, they, they suck up a lot of watery xylem fluids from deciduous trees to cool down, which forces them to pee liberally. And there can be so many of them that people have likened it to rain. If you're walking around and it's like a whole bunch of cicadas in a tree. Individuals don't produce like, like they can be liberally, but they're small. They don't produce a lot. But if there's like a lot of them. Thousands and thousands of them. Yeah, it just like increases exponentially. uh, Which is so gross. That's pretty gnarly. No. (laughs) Uh, and, And sometimes though. This is intentional. Uh, it's a defense mechanism. So they might squirt fluids Ooh. at other males, birds, or people. Is a, a bizarre form of chemical warfare, as it was stated in this <laughs> one uh, article. So it's they're not urinating on you, but trying to ward you away. Which for most humans, if someone was urinating on you, they're warding you away pretty strongly. Yes, very um, true. But this is, this is not just a defense mechanism of cicadas. I think about skunks or snakes, right? Mm. Skunks will spray and uh, snakes will do something called they musk. So yep. they basically like pee on you and it's very, very smelly if you pick them up and they don't want to be picked up and they mm. can't bite you. But yeah, there you go. There's your gross fact about bugs and chemical warfare. I know. I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't think cicadas could get any more like, like upsetting, upsetting <laughs> annoying, like the screaming. I was like, yeah, they scream and, and millions of them come out all at the same time. And that's terrifying enough. But yep. now they're also peeing on us. Yeah, only when there's lots and lots and lots. Only, yeah. yeah. Fortunately, not not one that we have to deal with here in Alberta. Yes, uh, yes, we're not. I'll just here. I'll just swat away the deer flies. I'll just stick yeah. to those guys. Yeah, the butterflies. Oh, yeah. We're like it's not very it's not super wet here. Right. And mm-hmm. very Nor- arid. Yeah, northern Alberta can be really bad. I hear hunters talking about like how bad northern Alberta is for mm-hmm. bugs, but it's not so bad down here. 
Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was my uh, that was my gross cicada fact with my bug chemistry element in it. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's quite a bit of information about about bugs. <laughs> this is is this a good place for my little aside about bug chemistry? Yes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I took a course in university called chemical ecology for part of my biology degree. And the professor was an entomologist and it was just one of the most fascinating courses I took. And I, he was such an interesting guy and he would, he was a a keen photographer as well, but he studied all these insects. He was a field scientist. So he had, he would always show us pictures of bugs in lecture with like big macro lenses. Right. So like really close up photos of bugs. They look so scary. I know. And I'm not someone who is like super grossed out by that stuff. Like, especially in a big image, it's like, well, I'm not, I don't have to deal with the animal. Like (laughs) I just find, I find it very fascinating. Right. I had some classmates that didn't like it as much. And it was also one of those courses where, because of the way he was teaching, which all, and what he, what he, the concept that he was really trying to hammer into us it wasn't your traditional like biology class where it's like here's a bunch of facts like learn them and like know these things about these animals or this this you know this process or this thing you're studying um he studied chemical ecology and in entomology so basically one of the things that he was interested in was to get yeah you've got these insects that are able to do certain things based on like you know why are mosquitoes attracted to one person more than the other right like what are the things and it was about like well how do you figure out like what are the you know the pheromones or the various vapors and things like that that are attracting these insects or or dictating these behaviors right and the big thing that he was trying to get across in this course was that it's very difficult to do these types of experiments in a lab and get results that are actually true to the real world. Yeah. And it's this big thing in insects. It's like, and in biology in general, right? Because we're dealing with complex systems. But when you want to test something to say like <laughs> definitively, like yes or no, like my hypothesis is true or false, because that's all science is, is based off of like proving or disproving a null hypothesis. There is a change or there is no change yeah. um, based on what I'm predicting. And to do that, you have to control your variables, right? So naturally, with a lot of environments, we think, oh, well, you want to create as sterile an environment as possible, and you want to have one stimuli and, you know, one, you know, one receiving object, basically, like one insect, one particular pheromone in a perfect environment, and then you want to see what happens. But the problem is, is that with insects, especially is what he was saying, and ecology in this way was when you take the insect out of that environment and all of the other things that are happening, you don't know necessarily if the thing you see is actually how that insect would behave in the real world. So you might be able to conclude that like, oh, well, this aphid was, was of course, it was attracted to the, this particular pheromone. But then you put it out in the wild and it's like, oh, we can't replicate that or still show, like, even if we, you know, drop, drop, drop a couple of drops on this leaf, it's not like all the aphids swarm to it because there's all these other things. But if you yeah. have a perfectly sterile environment, of course, they're going to be attracted to it. It's the only thing that's sort of sending them any signal. And so that was this big thing that he tried to get through to us. I just found it really fascinating to, to consider this idea of like, you have to strike this balance between how can I study something as in situ in the field, in the environment that is happening naturally as possible, but also with enough control over my various variables or being able to measure enough things that I can see accurately or can speak to what's going on. And it was really interesting because he studied, he talked a lot about pheromones and pheromones are, you know, they're molecules that our bodies give off, like they're in our sweat and things like that. And, you know, animals just secrete them and things like that. And they just, they're aromatic molecules, they float around, but they're very volatile. They break down very easily because they're often these long chain molecules and things like that. And they're getting, you know, they're getting vaporized. They're in the atmosphere. Yeah. 
because they're more like communicative to your own species for the most part exactly yeah. exactly and so it's just fascinating this is fascinating so it really speaks to like when you're talking about like the mosquitoes and the flies and we know we know that they're attracted to this group of things and yeah. we've been able to observe that it seems as though there are definitely people who for whom they're more attracted to and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to support that right you know yeah. again like sarah said all those people saying like yeah. oh i get bitten way more i've never gotten a mosquito bite yeah. in my life but again to study specifically like what well, what of these which one of these five things is the biggest thing it's like well it's so hard to do because like if you again you put it in too sterile of an environment and then you try to conclude like oh well they're all attracted to sweat and it's like okay well but you're you're only looking at a sweat sample or whatever, right? Yeah, like what happens yeah. when you put it on a moving human that's doing all these things, right? Yeah. Things that are closer to the natural, the way that things work in in the real world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a it's a study from like addiction sciences that actually oh, yeah. goes really well with this as well. I don't remember if it was mice or rats, but they were put in a box and they could press a lever and get cocaine. Right. And yeah. if they were just put in a, an empty box with a lever, then they would like press cocaine and take it until they died. And people were using this as evidence for how addictive cocaine was and mm -hmm. how damaging it was but the then someone finally was like the rat has nothing else to do and rats are mice. very social creatures they're very yeah. actually quite intelligent creatures they're very, especially yeah, yeah they're the rats actually make great pets you can't have them in alberta but they do no. make great pets yeah. um yeah. but they but if you put a rat or i don't remember if it was rats or mice but if you put it in a cage with enrichment like there's toys there's other rats to play with there's things for them like to play and explore and like build and burrow then they don't get addicted to the cocaine lever yeah lever. they hardly even press it at all yeah they try it once and then they don't try it again yeah yeah because they, they have enough other things so yeah. bugs are absolutely that way and the one uh, the, the one of the clearest bug chemical examples that i always think of is with ants and scouts right, right. so if you see a scout ant in your house so this if you see one yes. ant in your house it is a scout yeah. and it is scouting out if there's good food for the rest of the colony and so you want to kill it I don't advocate killing a lot of bugs, but ants, once they're in your house, like they're just so hard to get out. So you want to kill it. And then you want to wipe down the trail that you think it took with like, like a, a cleaner, like a lemon scented mm -hmm. thing, because it is leaving a trail of scent. For the other ants to follow. Yeah. 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 And they could be on stilts. I've even heard, <laughs> I've even heard that you should try not to kill the ant and see if you can remove it and then also clean up the mm, uh clean the up the, the trail it's left because some ants crushing them releases a pheromone mm. that signals to the other ants in the colony that I died here there's probably something worth protecting here oh. and then and it's so it's just an extra signal that they're sending so it's like my death is the sacrifice, you know, because again, like ants are more hive minded, right? Absolutely, they, you know, yeah. And they're fascinating for that reason. But it is, they have these incredibly intense social structures. It's very fascinating. Yeah. But again, so I've heard that as well. Um, one thing I've heard as well, if you can, you can use to help prevent um, ants and like break up their trails and stuff is coffee grounds. Hmm. They don't like coffee grounds. I've heard that for a lot of things. Them. Yeah. A lot of creatures don't seem to like them. Yeah. It's also good in the winter. You put a mixture mm -hmm. of coffee grounds and dirt on ice. It's a perfect uh, grip. Nice. Yeah. Now we know. Yeah. One more final thing about ants. I oh, didn't yes. expect to talk about ants, but they're very, very cool bugs. They are very interesting. Um, they, uh, the summer I worked with butterflies, I also did a little bit with ants. And I had to, because we were, it, to, the butterflies, their larvae are actually tended by ants. So when we were out and like looking at, uh, we were looking at habitats that we, that could be good for this carner blue. And then we had to collect ants. And then I had to go and try to identify the ants because we had like, put them into ethanol and oh, died. Yeah, yeah. And then you like put them under these like 
these microscopes and you're looking at them oh, and yeah. oh man if you have never seen an <laughs> ant macro image like a really 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 close up of an ant's face it is terrifying like if ants were huge oh my we god would, we would be screwed we'd be absolutely screwed they have mandibles they're so like big and sharp and mandibles are like like claws on your face oh, yeah. they're off they're so scary but thankfully they're very very tiny it reminds me of the movie like honey i shrunk the kids <laughs> yeah, yeah shrunk exactly. down and they're riding the ants and the ants are so terrifying I, I love looking at like the electron micrographs of like insects where they've coated them in gold and put them on an electron <laughs> microscope and you can get like super close oh. you can see all the hairs and the yeah. eyes and all the little yeah although even like the pores and the exoskeleton and stuff oh it's i find it fascinating it, and yeah. gross like it's one yes. of those things like i'm like the morbid curiosity or whatever but that just describes bugs. Oh, yeah. Fascinating absolutely. and gross. <laughs> they're fascinating and they're so alien from us, too. And they're yeah. so alien from, like, the larger creatures that we tend to deal with. And we yeah. don't get to look at them up close like that. But they can be so fascinating. And they're so critical to the ecosystem. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, you, uh, if you're listening to this and you got a bug picture that you think is really cool... Send it to us. Let us see it. <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely. love to. If you've drawn pictures of anything I've described, <laughs> I know it's mostly the butterflies. And after that, I was like, mosquitoes, you know, flies. They all look like flies. They're different sizes. Uh, I didn't describe the cicadas, but they're a pretty cool thing. I described their emergence. Mm-hmm. So you could definitely try to draw a creepy bug crawling out of a dead uh, bug shell. Out of shell. its own skin. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they look so weird. I definitely recommend looking these things up. Uh, or ants up close. Yep. There we go. Bugs. There you go. Lots of bugs. The summer of bugs begins. Yeah. Bugs mostly are in the spring, but that's fine. That's fair. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> the, spring of, the spring of bugs. Spring into bugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about anything that jumps. That's fine. That's true. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I, uh, I think that's all the bug stuff I have right now, Davis. Excellent. Excellent. I think uh, you haven't bugged me too much with your various facts excellent uh that was that was the best i could come up with after after an hour and a half (laughs) that's fair uh i got you all creepy crawly so yeah it's true you got you did get me you got me itching at one point so i mean there you go that was pretty that was pretty good and the weather helped us with pathetic fallacy which you all know now too yeah Mm -hmm. exactly it's the storm is still going too um Great. Awesome. Well, uh, I don't know what we're going to cover next. Uh, I mean, if there's things that you would like to, us to cover, I would be phenomenally interested in hearing mm-hmm. about them. We'd almost be guaranteed to do it. <laughs> as long as it was like somewhat topical and somewhat sciencey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. We'll see what comes up in the news in the next couple of weeks and yeah. just like what stories are big. Um, obviously, it seems like we're moving, hurtling towards reopening in a couple mm-hmm. of different jurisdictions. So maybe there's a conversation there, although the COVID thing's kind of done to death. And, and we did talk about vaccines, so it would yeah. be... It'd be more numbers, but we'll see. I've been having yeah. that on my brain, too. Yeah, maybe we'll opening. do a little update about it, and maybe you yeah. can talk about just the trends with vaccination and, like, mm-hmm. people uptake, the uptake of it. And yeah, some more psychology. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll think of something to, to chat about. And... Yeah, but let us know if you do have ideas on Twitter, at Temporary Expert. Uh, if you want some ideas, you could always go check out Third Sock from the Sun, which ah, is yes. my, uh, my YouTube channel where I make sock puppet videos to communicate science and science history. So uh, the first series is on plastic, but I touch on lots of little stuff in there. So check it out. Let me know what you think there. Follow me on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know your your thoughts, your corrections, topics you want us to see. You want to see us cover, and we will get right on it. 
Uh, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope that you uh, learned a little bit of something about bugs. If you're someone who's really freaked out by bugs, we hope that maybe we 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 removed some of the fear, even though we did talk a lot about <laughs> biting insects, or and gave you some tips about how to prep yourself for for bug season. Exactly. You're they're they're everywhere, but we can be prepared. Mm-hmm. And just uh, yeah, they're, they're an important part of our ecosystem, so don't let them bug you too much that's, that's the same the, joke i know that's it's the, the same, same i know it's the same pun i i decided to steer into the skid rather than <laughs> out of the skid mm, supposed to just steer where you're going <laughs> anyway all right well for all of us here at temporary experts she's sarah banister <laughs> and he's davis leong and together we've been your temporary, temporary experts. experts thanks for listening Chance, and the bones, 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 b